It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I'm on the line with Joshua Solarski. He's a producer and a mixing engineer at the Indie Room in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Josh. Hey, Serena. How are you? I'm great. I love that microphone you're talking on. Tell me about that. I mean, you've been modifying microphones and building microphones. I'm fascinated. <laughs> it's actually a relatively new venture for me. Um, about two or three weeks ago, I just, I was, uh, I was with, hanging out with my girlfriend and talking. I was like, I needed to get some new microphones for my studio, but you know, to get the really high end stuff, it's two, three, four, five thousand dollars. And I started doing some research and it was never anything that, that really kind of had piqued my interest before that I thought was even capable of like building your own microphone or modding an existing microphone. <laughs> and, and so as I looked into it more, I found a couple of websites in particular where they talked about it. And so I ended up going to the shameless free plug for this website, you know, uh, microphone-parts.com. I'm, I'm writing and, that down. I'm <laughs> microphone-parts.com. And uh, it's run by this guy, Matt, I think. And quick side note, super responsive. Like you email him like any waking hour and like within 10 minutes, and I've done this several times, he will email you back with like a very detailed explanation Aww. for whatever your question is. So incredible service in that regard. I love that. That's unusual nowadays, you know. It's some of these small tech companies that have people that have developed things that are so responsive, they're they're precious. I think they're precious and they make life a lot easier for us, don't they? Yeah, it really <laughs> and it gives you just a little that extra peace of mind, especially when you're going into something that you really feel foreign to, like building. I'm like, if you don't solder on a regular basis, like I had to buy soldering equipment and solder and other safety gear and a multimeter. And for me, this is like, you know, might as well be Egyptian hieroglyphics. You know, like I don't, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, so you can go a couple different avenues. You can either buy a full kit where you're building the thing from scratch, or you can, here's a pretty good encyclopedia reference style thing of like, oh, if you have this microphone, we offer this particular upgrade kit or this particular component you can upgrade. You have choices. So when you order whatever you're going to order, it you know comes to you in the mail pretty quick, within a week usually by standard mail. And you know, all the components are in plastic bags and there's like a printed manual that like step-by-step, color-guided, wow. very detailed. Like even So even if you just feel like you are not the person that could do it, you could probably do it. Anyway, so I build this microphone. It's, it's a recreation or a clone of a AKG C12, which is a very famous microphone known for a lot of warmth and a very smooth high-end. Um, I'm not really sure how much the actual... I mean, I think they go in the thousands uh, if you're going to buy a vintage thing, right? So for... You know, the mic when I bought it new was 250 bucks. I think the kit was maybe another, I think, three or 400 bucks. Wow. If that, it might have been less. And uh, so I built the whole thing. It took me three days because I was going so slow, so slow. And my <laughs> girlfriend was very encouraging. And, uh, and finally, I'm done. And I plugged the thing in and it worked. There was no hum, no noise. It worked seemingly flawlessly. I haven't changed it. I'm talking on it right now. It sounds awesome. And when I emailed the guy to thank him, he wrote back and said, I didn't know that was your starting first microphone build. That's literally out of like 10... If I had to rank my hardest ones from one to 10, that's literally the hardest build. I would never recommend that somebody start with that. <laughs> and so I think I got a little bit little <laughs> bit of beginner's luck <laughs> and uh, a little bit perseverance too, probably. Yeah, but you're a techie. You're a total techie. Come on. And and it's so gratifying, honestly. Like when you plug it in and work in out, this is like probably the first long test I'm really doing with it now. And to uh, to do it yourself, I mean, the DIY thing is, it's it's priceless, you know, the feeling you get when it when it, when you turn that switch on and it's and it's working. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's kind of like building your own home or having a garden and watching things bloom. You know, when you're a technologist, having a microphone you built, oh my goodness, now you're making me want to try. I'm going to go on microphoneparts.com. And a, a little warning, it, it's a little addicting. Like I even offer, like I just recently built a pair of, uh, anyone that's in audio may know, like these, this uh, KM84, a pair of KM84s, which are, they don't make them anymore they have a kit for something that is very comparable to that. And so for a friend of a friend, I basically offered like, just so I can get more practice, I'll tell you what, you buy the parts, I'll try and build the thing for you, right? And I just finished it. It works great. 
going to send, going to go deliver it, meet him later this week. And uh, so like, it's getting addicting. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a problem. <laughs> I think, so are, going forward. are we going to see a Sularski line of microphones pretty quickly? Right? Serena, I've been, I've been in my, my little dreams in the ether. I've been thinking of like, what would I call it? Yeah, there you go. We have to... <laughs> what, what could I call it? <laughs> <laughs> that it would sound very, you know, something that sounds elegant, but powerful. And thinking of like my, uh, my, on my, mother's side uh, a couple generations down the maiden name was a uh, dockman i'm wondering that sounds like kind of like germanish that's kind of nice you know, would, you know it could be something you know i don't know but i'm just messing around so we'll see dockman better than neumann yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah <laughs> <laughs> forget your neumann buy a dockman buy a doc- <laughs> i mean it's like dockman and something you know everyone everyone has two two names these well, days well so right? what is involved i mean you you they send you the parts but you had to yeah, I mean, I can walk you through it. It's like um, kind of like the Cliff Notes version. So, you know, they send you all these parts. There's in this particular case. So like, you know, these KM84s clones that I built, those are were definitely easier, much easier than this C12 clone. You know, you get a PCB. It's, gosh, it's a third the size of like a credit card, you know, mm-hmm. but as, just as long, but maybe shorter by two thirds. You definitely need some like really good, like, you know, magnifying capability of some sort so you can see what you're doing and Basically, the directions just walk you, you know, resistor by resistor, capacitor by capacitor. You solder the things in. It is terrifying. The first, like the when I first started the first magnifying, I was just like, "There's no way this is going to work." As I was doing it, <laughs> I kept messing up. And there's like special, you know, if you get too much solder on the board, then you need to like wick it away with like a special copper wire or uh, something. They, they refer to it as flux. So it's like a special chemical compound that helps kind of helps the solder flow either onto a pad or off the board, et cetera. There's, a, there's definitely a rhythm to it. So as you do more and more and more, you get faster and faster. Um, anyway, so you solder a bunch of these components, whether they're resistors, sometimes you have to solder, you know, wires from the, from the microphone capsule to that same PCB board. And then you kind of screw it all together after like four hours and, you know, you cross your fingers for a second and hope that when you turn it on, you hear something like this and not buzzing or noise or static. <laughs> okay, this is radio, so people can't see it, but I'm bowing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am bowing. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's not as, especially the, with the job that that website has done. I mean, I should be getting some kind of like, you know, uh, commission for plugging them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they they really do make it pretty easy it actually reminds me a lot of like the owc mode of things with like the ssd mm-hmm. installs memory installs mm-hmm. there's actually a mm-hmm. lot of synergy there i was thinking of actually emailing larry <laughs> to be like larry you gotta check out this site it's like he would love know, it like, knowing larry o'connor the, yeah, he would absolutely living in the same same universe you know yeah, yeah i mean absolutely all those guys over there and you were over there for a while we met during sundance what two years ago now i think it was yeah, I was there from about 2014 to uh, early 2017. I was the director of marketing for a period of time. Tell me about your, your because you have a very strong tech background. So where do you come from and how did you learn all of this? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, even as like a young kid growing up, late 80s, early 90s, you know, before the internet was really a thing like, you know, late mid nineties, it was just starting. People were getting email addresses. I remember my father who worked at at and at the time, like it was a, like, I remember going to his office, like this 30 story thing in New Jersey and being marveled that the internet, it was, I was getting like 20 K a second downloads, you know, and you know, like faster than, you know, dial up at the, at the time, you know, it was just like, it was incredible. So, so I think I was always kind of technologically pretty, curious i would always kind of tinker with whatever computer we had and Mm -hmm. how could i get i I mean i even remember little funny anecdotes like we were never an apple mac house growing up it was always like we would you know my dad would either get like a free computer from the company at&t that they didn't need anymore they were really good about kind of like taking care of their employees that way back then or we'd go to like a local computer show that would happen like once or twice a year and buy a computer and come home that way and then i would always we have like Mac Envy growing up. So I was like, how can I make this look like a Mac when I use it? What can I do to tinker yeah. with the OS or something like that? Did you turn it blue? <laughs> I don't even, you know, they, but they had all these different programs that you could like reskin windows and they never worked very well. But like for about an hour, I was like in heaven because I had a Mac in front of me. So growing up, I was always really tech, you know, into tech stuff. I was also a musician. I've been playing piano since I was three years old. 
and I've been classically trained kind of all my life that way. So that brought me, you know, obviously through middle school, through high school, playing piano, doing tech stuff. In college, I went to school. My major was music and recording, but it might as well have been a double major because you had to meet very strict performance requirements on piano because you had to get into the school of music. It was run by the school of music. So you had to get in on piano. You had to get into this recording program, which was very small at the time. It was 20, I believe 20 people total. I was, I think, the third class. It was a new program. And where was this? Ithaca College in upstate New York. So it's like a, the most typical college town in the world. You know, they think they used to say like 10 miles surrounded by reality or something like that was the kind of the, one of the sayings of Ithaca. While I was there, um, I was kind of a terrible piano student because I was <laughs> so enamored by recording and the tech and getting into that stuff. So like I would sink hours into being into the studio learning the board inside and out. Uh, they had an SSL 4000, uh, I think it was a, a G or an E with a G computer. I can't remember the exact, but it was an SSL 4000, which is one of the kind of quintessential boards of, of the time. And uh, spent a lot of time learning that thing inside and out, working with musicians, bands, anyone that would come in to get basically free recording time so I could learn my way through that process. And I had an internship. I had a couple internships, but one was actually at a studio right downtown in Ithaca called Pyramid Sound Studios. It was run by uh, someone who's kind of now one of my mentors and actually runs the program now. Kind of after I left, he now runs the Ithaca College recording program, Alex Perialis. And if that name sounds familiar to some people, you know, I think in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, he did a lot. Uh, he was kind of like a quintessential heavy metal rock, uh, kind of hard rock. He, he kind of really developed um, some of like the most famous guitar tones that people strive for after, you know, they, they really go after today. Even, and so even today, if like, if you're into that type of music, like there are many people that will consider his guitar tones, his distorted tones, his clean tones, really just like, you know, the peak something that, that, that they really strive to go after. Anyway, so I, I did an inter internship there and I had done a session there too. And something about our chemistry kind of like, just kind of locked together. And clicked. Yeah. And so like, you know, I would hang out there sometimes. We kind of really developed like this, you know, mentor-mentee relationship. I'm not exaggerating. Like I graduated on a Sunday in May of 2004, dating myself a little bit, but... And then literally started working at his studio on that Monday. Oh, so like okay. I graduated and started work. That's wonderful. You know, that was a journey in itself. And kind of over time, uh, Ithaca, you know, it is what it is over there. And um, they're, they're un, kind of parallel to this. A job opened up at a company called Glyph Technologies, who manufactures external storage right. devices for audio and video production. Right. Very fervent following of fans and customers. And I've, I've used their stuff. I, I like OWC stuff better. <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, a position to open up there, a sale there had a new product that ended up kind of being a flop. It was like a new category of an audio, a networked audio device for bands that kind of tour so they can bring their own monitor rigs with them on stage and not have to worry about the sound guy. It ended up not working out for a variety of reasons. But uh, Alex, the owner of the studio, knew the president of Glyph, got me an interview. I got the job. And so I was like the entry-level peon at Glyph. And kind of over the next, not literally nine years, just kind of worked my way up that small company ladder. And mm -hmm. by the time, you know, 2014 came around. Mm-hmm. I was vice president of sales and marketing, and then for all intents and purposes, a COO. You know, it's a small company, about you know 20, 30 people. So everyone's wearing multiple hats, and you gotta, it's all hands on deck all the time. And and so yeah, so I the, the great thing there was I had exposure to so many facets of the industry. It was you know whether it was working with musicians on sponsorships and stuff like that, or endorsements. Or was working with Asian manufacturers who were supplying us, you know, components that were using the build of stuff. Or, you know, working with the channel partners and, and resale and re retail. Um, and then also managing the internal <laughs> dynamics of the company. Which is a job in and of itself. You know, I think a lot sure, of people yeah. don't understand that those people who work in marketing at tech companies are very tech savvy. You have to be. And so you're working the creative and the tech and the marketing and the sales. And it's a difficult job. 
It's a difficult job. I have a lot of admiration for people who do it well. Yeah, it is. You know, I think it's it's a balancing act, right? I mean, not to be too cliche. I think this this idea of like blending art and science, mm-hmm. it's kind of a cliche for a reason, right? I think because there are certain aspects. Not to get too deep in the weeds on on like the marketing analytics, but like, yes, you you definitely need a certain amount of analytics and data to help guide and steer your strategy. But you don't want to succumb to like analysis by paralysis, exactly. right? So you gotta, exactly. You got to have your finger on the pulse and you got to be in the in the mind of your customer and figure out, you know, I think like I like to actually say that I think the X factor is the creative all the time. No matter how much analytic data you have, how much you think you know about your customer, it's all mm-hmm. in the execution of that creative. I mean, you have to know what the goal is, but the creative is really the the X factor, I think. Yeah, but the numbers can be skewed too. You have to be careful. Where are they coming from? What exactly are they measuring? I think the golden gut has to get in there at some point and your instinct has to say, okay, I'm looking at all these numbers. Yeah. I'm looking at our budgets. I'm looking at our demographics. I'm looking at our psychographics. And how do I put all of that together and make a conscious decision to do right by the company based on all of this data but also what I know to be true in the middle of all of that. And that's what's exciting. And then you sit back and you wait. And most of the time it works. If you listen to yourself, most of the time it really works if you've made that commitment yeah, to yeah. what you're doing. So you were at Glyph. And then what happened? By, uh, by 2010, I had actually moved down to New York City. And I was still working for Glyph at the time. And uh, you know the company, um, I don't know if anyone would, anyone would remember this, but there was like a pretty major flood in Thailand in that, Asia, yes. in that area of Asia back yes. in like 2010, 2011. I can't remember exactly when. And the hard drive market, where that's where a lot of like, I forget what percentage it was of drives that got manufactured there, but it affected everybody. And overnight drive prices tripled, you know, and for smaller companies like Glyph, that became a real hardship. And ultimately the company was sold to kind of people that had deeper pockets able to weather that storm better. Mm-hmm. Um, the tape so manufacturers I, went under too, a lot of them, right? Oh, that's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And that's also partially just the nature of the technology and how it's kind of moving. It's hard to justify for a lot of people the cost and time of tape backup at this point when there's so many other options like cloud and NAS and stuff like that. Anyway, I, I, I stayed on and um, oddly enough, a mutual supplier and I had just had dinner and we're a mutual supplier that, you know, at the time, I think Glyph and ODC had shared and um, we, we met and had dinner. We were on really good terms and I, and, um, I had mentioned, you know, you know, that I was kind of, you know, getting a little bit long in the tooth and I was kind of looking for something new. I'd been at the Glyph for 10 years. It was a great ride. And, um, you know, is, you know, did he, did he maybe know anyone? And uh, he put me in touch with Larry and Larry and I kind of traded emails probably for literally six months, just like, you know, feeling each other out, getting to know each other. Ultimately, you know, uh, went down to Austin and we sat in a coffee shop and talked shop for, God, I mean, it must've been four to five hours of just kind of like riffing with each other and, um, you know, next thing you know, I was kind of brought on board. You know, I talked to Jen, obviously, and, and a couple other people before making it official. But, you know, next thing I knew, I was hightailing it down to, to Austin from New York. And I literally landed on a Wednesday night at like 10 or 11 on, on Wednesday night, middle of July. And Thursday morning realized, oh, you know what? You're probably going to need a car. You haven't needed a car for, for several <laughs> years. Went car shopping. I lived in a hotel for three. It, it's only because that's how quickly it all happened. I didn't have time to... Get, plan ahead and get an apartment. Also, I lived out of a hotel for the first month I was there and was just kind of piecing it all together while going to do this day job thing where I was just getting acquainted at OWC. That's how I ended up at OWC. Where, and that's where I was uh, director of marketing for about three years. It was a great time there. You know, you learn a lot. Uh, it was a much bigger company than, than compared to Glyph. You know, the size of my marketing team was basically almost the size of Glyph as an entire company. For me, at least, the learning curve there was shifting from my all hands, maintaining it that, you know, being able to get in the weeds and get my hands dirty as necessary. But the mindset shift that you have to go through from, you know, all hands on deck, wearing a bunch of different hats to, okay, I'm now managing a team of people that rely on me there, you know, and so like my job is less wearing all these different hats and, put, you know, putting out fires and it's more how can I make sure that they are all set up for success as best as possible? What can I do to support them 
I think to a certain degree, my job was no longer making sure we hit this exact number. It was more making sure that person A, B, or C is set up so that we can hit that number. And so I think that's uh, a, a subtle, kind of a subtle distinction, but it's a really important one, I think, that that, sure that, is. that can be difficult to transition into. Yeah. Now, were you primarily B to C or B to B? Uh, I think in a way we were kind of handling, at Glyph it was almost exclusively B2B because the product was B2C ultimately hit the consumer, but we were mm-hmm. really only, we did not have a direct model at all. It was all through our channel mm-hmm. partners mm-hmm. at, at uh, OWC, obviously maxsales.com, huge website. Yeah. Um, so that, that part is B2C though. They have B2B customers and there's also, you know, an, a sales team internally that deals with B2B sales. Right. So it was kind of coming at you on all fronts. You know, um, so there was just there was a lot going on all the time and trying to make sure that everybody is on the same page, both within the marketing department, but also you know, outside the marketing department. You know, you don't want people kind of in the dark or siloed. And as any company grows, that's always a challenge. And I think, you know, it was kind of like a crawl, uh, crawl, walk, run kind of mentality <laughs> in the best way. So now you are doing a lot of audio engineering and you're working in podcasting. Tell me about what you're doing now. Because it looks like when you go on your website, it's uh, full of music albums. And uh, oh, tell sure, me yeah. about some of the work you're doing. <laughs> sure. Now, yeah, some of those are older than others. So like, you know, when I moved back to New York in 2017, um, you know, my roots are in New York. My family, my closest friends are in New York. I kind of, in a way, came back without much of a plan. <laughs> I, I kind of said to myself, man, you've been going at it really hard for like most of your adult life. Like maybe you take a beat, come back, maybe do some marketing consulting, which I did when I very when I first arrived in New York. And then I took a minute and said to myself, you know, I asked my, you know, kind of a question that now, you know, that is a little bit difficult to answer honestly, because it can be a little scary, which is if your money was really literally no object, what would you want to do tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Smart question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everyone asks themselves that. And Absolutely. I think sometimes... Sometimes the the answer is scary, and it is. I mean, it, it's scary for probably most people, including myself. And I uh, kind of decided, man, I'd really just love to make like make some music and help people record some music. And if I can help the you know, the average struggling indie song singer songwriter make something that sounds like you know eighty or ninety percent as good as what you get at a major major record label studio, like I would love to do that out of a little studio. You know, that's awesome. And I think like. And so I think like when, if you're really super selective about the gear you make and you start to maybe even in the case of building a microphone, start to really understand how it's made, you know, I think on a fraction of the budget, if you do it right, you can really get them to that 80, 90% sound. You're never going to like, don't, you know, I'm not, I don't fool anyone. Like you're never going to get a hundred percent of what you get by going recording through a a Neve console or an SSL console with a beautiful wooden room or whatever, you know, any, you know, places like, you know, the hip factory or some of them, have, some of them have closed now, right. Or avatar, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. now I think part of NYU or Berkeley. I can't remember, but yeah, I think there is, especially in New York, there's so many, there's so much talent so many people that want to record and have, and say something Yeah, and they struggle to put out, something that sounds of the caliber that their song deserves or their voice deserves. So getting back to your original question in terms of like the discography I had on my site. Yeah. I mean, you played piano on one of them, didn't you? Yeah, A, a lot of them. I, yeah. So a lot of them I played piano. Yeah. On. yeah. I'm looking here. There's mix engineer, piano, assistant yeah, yeah. engineer, piano, clavinet. That was a fun set. That, that I mean, set, the clavinet. I think if that's the one I'm thinking of was, yeah, they were Thornwood. like, um, a, kind of like a sly cover band uh, that was some years ago but the bass what was the biggest treat there was the bass player had played bass for years with Marvin Gaye in the past oh wow well just like the coolest dude like way too cool for me (laughs) but like but just such a like just so in the pocket so in the groove that you know and then I remember, you know, kind of like made my made my year. I think, you know, he he had told Alex because that recession happened to be at Alex's studio, Pyramid Sound in Mythica, and he, and he must have told Alex when I wasn't in the room. He goes, you know, tell tell Josh he's Aww. all right. 
And Alex told me, Alex was like, you know, for him to say that about your playing, it's that's about as big a compliment as you're going to get, you know? And uh, so if we go to joshsularski.com, J O S H S U L A R S K I.com, you can click on Thornwood. I'm not going to click on it now because we're talking, but you can hear you playing piano. I want to hear yeah. this. <laughs> this is awesome. So do you you like the engineering, the playing? I mean, what what's your you like it all? I like I, I kind of like it all. I think well, I think I really do enjoy the playing. I think my my challenge as a producer when it comes to that is I'm not the I think a self-analysis for me says that like I'm not great at starting things. So like if if a songwriter comes to me and is like I got this song. I just need to like build a bunch of parts. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know where to start. If I can have someone else in the room that just gets it started, I can then, then it becomes this back and forth in this game where like, okay, you're throwing this idea. I'm going to throw this to the idea out there. Let's see how they come together. I, I, I always struggle with building something from scratch. I have, I have like this, you know, the, I think it's a pretty common thing of like, almost like, you know, there's some fear there of, of sort, you know, fear of failure or something like that. Well, you know? I think knowing you as I have one of your greatest skills is that you're a true team player, you know, that's a really important skill. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too modest about that. That's an amazing skill. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the list of equipment that you have, and I'm wondering, what are you going to call this sure. microphone? <laughs> the one that you kind of built after the AKG. One that I built, huh? Oh man, I don't even know. I, that's it. I have to think about it. That's a good question. Part of me just wants to say it's a C12 clone, but it's really not because it's not exactly a C12 clone. There's parts of it that are different, but it's... Gosh, I guess I better I, I better work on that yeah, naming because stuff. Yeah, because it's a... <laughs> we it's really, it, <laughs> it sounds beautiful. It needs to go up on your list. Maybe that's the first use of the new name you're thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to have a particular... There's one or two female songwriters who hopefully they're going to come in in the next week or two because I can't wait to hear what they sound like on this thing. Because me and my marble voice, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't do, really do it you justice. You have a great probably. voice for radio. <laughs> you, you know, the problem with women, and I'm not talking on my the mic that I'm going to end up keeping. I have bought and gotten rid of so many microphones over the years because I have a soprano voice, and I don't want to change my voice, and I don't want to add a bunch of bass and a bunch of reverb. I just want to sound like me, but the best of me. And there aren't a lot of microphones that are made for women because they don't handle the higher range mm -hmm. the way, yeah. you know, the those wonderful rich bass tones that men can get. Um, that's not the way I and other women who do this kind of work sound. So it's hard for us to find microphones that work for us. Yeah, I bet. And I think under a certain price point, I'm hesitant to say the exact point because I don't really think I know. But the uh, certainly on the budget side of things with microphones, the, the high end is usually the first area where it reveals itself as a budget microphone. So a lot of these budget microphones that are coming from from the Far East, like Asia, usually it's usually it's China, but not always. Right. What ninety nine percent of them, some of them are trying to do is basically model their microphone after something like a U eighty seven or a U forty seven. These like classic quintessential mics that even if you're not an audio audio pro, you might have heard of them. But what they end up doing is like you know skimping a little bit on a part here or there, and and what ends up happening is you get this overhyped uh, area right around eight. K and above, usually maybe it's 10K and above, and it becomes really harsh and sibilant, and and that's where it really mm -hmm. reveals. Mm -hmm. But that's where that's where. But you know, a lot of times you can buy like like I'm not joking. You can buy like a fifty dollar microphone on Amazon or you know anywhere, and uh, get one of these kit. Thing, you know, maybe find a kit on microphoneparts.com that's designed for that microphone, and two hundred bucks later, you have a mic that sounds like a thousand dollar mic. And, you know, literally. But that's not even exaggerating. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's that. Kind of exciting. I think people take for granted when they're listening to podcasts, the work that goes into them. Like this microphone I'm talking on right now, I, I was in the Sennheiser Neumann booth at NAB this year. And I walked in and I said, I'm going to buy the U87. <laughs> I give up. I've Great thrown microphone. away too many microphones. I'm going to get the U87. It's a beautiful mic, but it's made for men. And I sort of demoed. They had a line of microphones all along the wall and I demoed. And when I got to the one that the, the man who was running the booth, uh, who's one of the heads of Neumann, 
said, you know, I think this is the microphone for you. And I put the headphones on and I spoke into it and I went, oh my God, that's the microphone. And, and I think maybe you should start making microphones for women. <laughs> what, 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 uh, what was it? Well, I thought it was the 101. Turns out I've got the number wrong. So I have to look mm. at the pictures I took. It might be the 102, but it was a $600 microphone. Yeah, yeah. He said, for your voice, this is the best microphone. Now, this man works with Neumann every day of his life. He knows these mics. And that was the microphone he was recommending to me. So I, I have to write to him and say, okay, I'm ready to buy it. Where is it? <laughs> was it a was it a one oh three? No, it's not the one oh three. It's not the one oh three. Might, might be the one oh two. It may be the one oh two, but I swear I thought it was the one oh one. I, I took a picture of all the mics lined up. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna write to him because yeah, it's like you said, it's not always about price. It's about the way it's made and the way it handles the vocal range. Yeah, and and it's so much more so than anything is the source, the source material. Like mm -hmm. if I put up, if I put up a literally a ten thousand dollar microphone and the performance is terrible, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good that mic yeah. is. It's not going to sound good, you know. I, yeah. Oh, uh, so that's, yeah. Got to have fun with it. So talk to me about Wistia and what you're doing sure. there. Yes, Wistia is a video streaming company, and they, you know, I think similar to you know, people often know Vimeo seems to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit better known, but Wistia has kind of carved out. I think, you know, I'm not, I don't work for Wistia, so I, I want to get this right. But Wistia, I think my sense is that they're very business oriented. They're, they're providing a lot of analytic data. They're, they're really, they're kind of a bunch, you know, they're, they're, they're business focused more so than Vimeo maybe to the masses. So they decided as a strategy that they were going to kind of produce a branded content series. And I think it's deemed, you know, uh, made by marketers for marketers. So the idea is like, you know, there's some episode of content in each episode, you know, some fun stuff to keep you entertained. And there's also, you know, a long form interview with usually maybe it's like the head of marketing at, you know, a well-known brand or the CEO of a well-known brand, or I think they had a, you know, a beer company. They had someone from an agency recently. This week's episode that just went live today was someone that was at one point deemed the fastest woman in the U.S., I think. Uh, before she had an injury, otherwise she would have been in the Olympics. And how she kind of leveraged her, you know, sports acumen into kind of some brand and product-based stuff for herself and, and her husband, right? So she's built, I think, one or two companies off of that. And so, uh, you know, they 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 do this weekly video streaming thing that's about 20 to 30 minutes. And then there's, on top of that, every Thursday, they release a longer form version of that same interview on its own as a podcast every Thursday. Uh, I, so what are you doing? For exactly. Them? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I am basically edit and process and clean up all the audio for both of those assets. So whether it's mixing, the, you know, you know, I get raw audio delivered along with kind of a video cut. So that's why I have to mix and edit and clean up any audio issues for the video streaming side. And then I'm also editing and cleaning up the podcast side of things. Speaking of audio issues, I don't know if you can hear it, but on my side, the gardener is right underneath the studio hear, windows. I don't hear a thing. <laughs> silent. Yeah, I don't you, hear anything. You would if you got the master files, you would hear it. Can, you don't hear it? I don't hear anything. Oh, it's driving me crazy. Uh -huh. Anyway, so you work, you work on cleaning that up. What tools do you use? What I reach for usually first in my toolkit, well, so I use Pro Tools mm -hmm. as my mm -hmm. DAW. I'd say eight or nine out of 10 times, I reach for uh, Isotope RX mm -hmm. if I need to clear up. So it's for stuff that they shoot in their offices, there's HVAC noise amongst other things, you know, and, and, and for them, it's a learning experience too, because um, it's a, this new type of content. They haven't really produced it before a weekly series. Is, that's a lot of work, right? They have a whole team of people putting it. So now are they doing these for clients or getting paid by the clients to do these? Or is this just to this show? This is a self-branded content thing where mm -hmm. they're just putting it out every week. And I, you know, I think it's just part of their overall content marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I imagine it's to help, you know, position themselves as a thought leader, ultimately, and, and keep people engaged with their mm -hmm. brand. I think mm -hmm. uh, they have a very strong brand. They know who they are. They know what their values are. They know what the culture is. And I think that also naturally attracts customers to them who kind of share those values, right? If, you know, they've never, they've, you know, kind of told me exactly what those values are, but you just get a sense 
from everyone that I've interacted with. It's mm-hmm. they're great people, and and I could easily see why they would have a very uh, strong following uh, in, in terms of customers. So you were working on Pro Tools on Isotope. Sometimes, uh, if if the RX like denoise isn't working as well as I really want it to, then maybe I'll reach for a Waves X noise, which is much older plugin, but sometimes it just gets the job done, right? My other plugin that goes on literally anything these days is uh, from something called Plugin Alliance called uh, BX Console. And it's, uh, they have a few different, they mo- this one in particular is modeled after a Neve, uh, a Neve console. So BX underscore console, I think it's N is all it's called, BX console N. And that just gives you like a really simple strip that would look, that you'd find on like a, um, a Neve console. I usually use it to, I run, you know, a high pass filter that helps with some of the rumble on top of that, on top of anything I've done with RX. Um, and maybe if it needs it, I'll do a little compression, nothing too heavy, maybe a little EQ. But then um, if I need to start getting like really surgical on the EQ side of things, if I'm getting like weird honks or something, Feb Filter makes a great EQ. That's like a dynamic EQ. Uh, if you're a little bit more budget conscious, Waves has something called the F6 which is also a dynamic EQ. And so like you can, you can get, I think about the six bands, you can get really granular and basically only have it like, you know, if I need to cut out, I don't know if I'm getting too much in the weeds here. Serena, tell me. No, this is <laughs> if perfect. If something is too honky or if something is just like a little, and, and it just, but it only happens once in a while. So you don't want to just take it out all the time. Um, you know, you could throw, throw, throw a dynamic EQ on there and have it, you know, basically trigger this reduction. It's almost like multiband compression but almost but more styled as an eq and uh it'll just you know smooth out some of these honks or if something's too harsh i'll do it on you know usually something around you know two to six k things can get pretty wonky and harshy in there right so um sometimes i use it there to just to tame tame some of that harshness or maybe sibilance once in a while it really it just depends on the source material but those are those are my those are most of my my tools i'd say you know um in this week's episode, actually, where they did a scene where the CEO of Wistia with um, their guest, uh, Lauren Fleischman, I think is her name, you know, she has him run around, does a mile around the track for fun to see, just to show how much slower he is than, than an average, <laughs> you know, athlete, you know, he, he did a good time. It was like six minute miles. Like, I was like, I couldn't do that. I'd still be running now. Well, that's not yeah. so bad. But um, tons <laughs> of wind noise. So, you know, I, I got RX in there to de-wind it. I wouldn't have another tool that could handle it the way RX D-Wind did, which is part of the advanced, uh, I think, package on RX. No, it's okay. You know, I, I'm thinking that everybody I talk to that is an engineer, sound engineer, talks about all of these different tools that they use. And most people don't know about this. They just think all you do is get a good mic, you record it, and you put it up. But it's a lot more work than that. And I think if you're really picky about audio, especially if you've trained musically and your ears are keen, then there is a lot of work. It's almost like cooking. I mean, you... I've written down some of the things you were talking about. There's one, two, three, four, five, six different, at least six different solutions that you're using to help with the audio. Yeah, although I think, you know, there are definitely... You don't use them all at once. <laughs> very rare that I use them all at once. If it's I, like spices. And usually I found like, I can't, I imagine that many people can relate to this in, in the field of audio as engineers. There will be times where I stop myself and I'm like, I look at what I did. I was like, man, how did you get to this point? Like, and I'll just faders down, reset everything, start over. Like, cause mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you start to play, your mind is a really powerful thing and it can play tricks on you. And, you know, it's got, it, there mm-hmm. used to be like a joke. I don't know, you've probably, maybe you've heard it before where like, you know, if you're in a studio and you're doing a mix and, you know, you got a band member in the back, it's like, I need to hear more guitar or something. And so you just pull up like a, a you, you tell him, oh, this is the fader for guitar and there's nothing going through it. And so he just pushes it up. And he's like, oh, that's better. That's better. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's better. Like, but I think that happens to everybody, myself included, where you can be, you know, uh, convinced and kind of, yeah, self-convincing without really realizing it. And so I think it's important once in a while to check yourself. Because there's times where I get audio in, you know, from Wistia, you know, as an example, there have been times where I get something and I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty great. I just need to do a couple of things and it's going to be good. And then mm-hmm. there's times I get stuff and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be here for a minute. Like, I got to figure, I got to figure mm-hmm. this out. Uh, so I think it just depends on the yeah. source material. But I think to your earlier point, like microphone placement and technique also hugely mm-hmm. important. 
Because mm-hmm. there have been times where I record music, like a singer songwriter, and at the end, like I don't even touch it. It's just I put the fader up, mm-hmm. and I'm like, maybe maybe a little compression, and I'm just like, that sounds gorgeous. It doesn't need me to like your voice with this mic for some reason. It's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like we're good to go. Um, mm-hmm. So I think knowing what to do and knowing what not to do, uh, technically, is a big is is a pretty big part of the equation. And I think that also applies to music knowing what to play, knowing what notes not to play. It's subjective. And I think that's why when as a writer, producer in the music side or the podcasting side, you want to work with somebody that is compatible, that thinks the same way you do. And, you know, there's so many variables. I mean, for example, when you're mixing, you've got headphones on. Are those headphones altering the sound? You know, how do you pick a good headphone? How do you pick good studio monitors? And if you listen to it on the headphones that you've decided are not distorting the sound in any way or changing it, in other words, what you hear is what you get, then you'll play it on the studio monitors and it still sounds a little bit different. So how do you know what your audience is going to be hearing? And most of the time now, it's being dumbed down and played over an iPhone or an Android and they're listening on their little AirPods and all that work that we do to try to make it sound really good just sort of goes away. It's, it's a shame. It's like making a film with beautiful surround sound or beautiful images. And then they're watching it on the phone. (laughs) It's it's heartbreaking. (laughs) It's like, no, it's so easy. I'm waiting for the subway. I just want to watch there you the go. office on my iPhone. Or, there you go. <laughs> I'm good to go. But I think you. I think you made an interesting point just a couple, a couple of seconds ago, talking about you know like what monitors do you pick, what headphones do, you, and I, I, I myself have suffered from this in the past. I think I've got to a degree I've gotten over it, but I'll never I'll never be a fully recovered. I'm a recovering gear addict in a way, but I think you know to a certain extent it almost doesn't matter what speakers you pick what headphones you pick as long right. as you know them really well if you if you know what their deficiencies are because you know unless you're you know even the most expensive set of mon- audio monitors or headphones they're going to have a sound of their own they have their own character in, in 99 percent of cases so you just have you have to really learn mm-hmm. the room you're mixing in the speakers if you have a console you have to know your console you have to know like i know like for example like here i use uh metric halo uh re- recording interface it has my couple mic pre's on it and adb converters and i know when i plug a microphone in especially since, especially since i know my microphones i know what it's supposed to sound like and so and i know if i take that same exact microphone and i go at home and i plug it into my kind of budget entry-level interface Scarlett Solo, very popular thing. It's like 100 bucks, right? And it sounds good. It doesn't sound bad. It sounds good. But I know I'm not going to get the same kind of air in my off that mic, same exact microphone that I would if I plugged into that metric halo piece. And so I think it's just, you just have to, you have to know, you have to really become a master of your own, of the stuff you own. And ultimately, people are used to hearing different levels of audio and I don't mean that literally I mean just different quality of audio and I think it's really about the story like you said it's the performance it's the story it's the conversation and a lot of people and I've known several people that sound amazing on the radio but they have no personality and they're not really interested in the podcast world they're not really interested in the other person and I think people can tell you know they can tell I mean yeah I love talking to people the idea that I can do this and do this for OWC and they're sponsoring this show and I get to talk to people like you that are so good at what they do and I get to put the, you know, I get to put the focus on you. That's, that's such a gift. It's just such a gift. It's like all around the world, I meet creative people and you're one of them, you know, you're a keeper. <laughs> you're you're definitely oh, a keeper. I want you to build me a microphone, though. I'll pay <laughs> I'll you. Certainly I will pay I'll you. Certainly, to... I will certainly try. I think, um, yeah, I really think that it sounds like you're doing with uh, with Wistia and with Brandwagon and with this microphone. What is it? Microphone-parts.com. I think he's your new bestie, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking like a couple times a week already. Yeah. You sound happy. Yeah. You know, I think... Um... And I can't say that with, that's always been the truth, you know, um, as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, I was a pretty happy kid. Then you get to, I think a lot of people go through this journey where not, the, you know, I don't know how far off we want to get here, but <laughs> where I'll do, but like, you know, 
for most of my adult life, I kind of just said yes to things without questioning it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like you graduate, oh, you want to work at the studio? Sure, I'll work. Oh, you want this job at Glyph? Sure. Oh, want to move down to Austin? Sounds like a great opportunity. You know, maybe, maybe that's partly the, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always, I would always call myself a realist. Some of my best friends would call me a pessimist. <laughs> I think I've become, more, I, think, I think I've become more of an optimist. I think you have to be, to be doing the entrepreneurial stuff that I'm doing. You, you can't, it's, which, it doesn't make it less scary. You just, and you need support. You need support from your friends and family. Otherwise, you don't have a prayer. You need support you know? or you also need the ability to turn it off when it's not giving you the sure. advice that you really should be getting. I yeah, know, you know, point. if you listened to everybody in your life that said no to you, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now, especially yeah, creative right. people. Creative people oftentimes don't get the support that we, and I say we, cause I'm one of them that we need from our communities. And so, well, it sounds crazy. I mean, to a, to an average person, it sounds crazy. Right, it is, and that's what I love about it. (laughs) I'm going to build a studio. I'm going to start building microphones. (laughs) Like it sounds crazy. Yes, as I was saying, like you know, I I never really stopped to think about like what what do you, Josh? What do you want to do the rest of your life? Like, yeah, like, and I thought started thinking like I would love to be one of those people who never retires. Yeah, like that to me like would be a nice thing to be able to do whatever I want to be doing until the day I die, and and so I think like. I think I was under no illusions that it would take time to build whatever I'm building. I was very fortunate enough to come back to New York with, you know, some savings that gave, that afforded me the time to really figure mm-hmm. what I want, what, what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And um, yeah, to, I mean, I'm probably the happiest I've been in, in years and I, and it's, it's a blessing and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's something that I actually have already taken for granted a little bit in the last few months and, I think you you kind of mm. just reminded me of that a little bit, and that's it's important to to do. Life's too short. Just do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. Absolutely. And and I think to what you were saying, like in terms of like blocking out the negativity when it comes time. Yeah, you. I think you have. You know, there's two two uh, kind of well known public figures who I follow who are. I think they just, they have some alignment, but they're also some at times can be. A little bit of opposed. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. is someone that I follow, and also uh, Simon Sinek. Oh, I love Simon Sinek. If I met him randomly on the street, I'd just be like, "I'll work for you for free. Like, just tell me what I can yeah. do. Like, if I can help at all, just tell me." You know, he's amazing. Yeah, incredible and brilliant. Just like a brilliant thinker. And Gary, while he's way more brash and abrasive, <laughs> he has a he is like in the best way possible, kind of like a one. A, a, a one hit guy like he's he's hammering the same theme home and i think that's what gets people to that's what starts to resonate i think and it's and the one the, one of his things that really resonates with me is like figure out who is the voice whether it you know sometimes it's, it's really hard some maybe it's a parent right or maybe it's mm-hmm. one of your best friends or something figure out who it is that you're hearing that can that's telling you no you can't do it and just Get it out of there, like yeah. It, it, dial it down. Yeah, figure it out, and and, and yeah, and it, maybe it's something that you need to say goodbye to temporarily, or maybe it's longer term, and that can be really painful. But I think, um, and it's not the case in my professional scenario at all. But I've had great support. But I think like that can be um, that can be the most powerful thing is to figure out who 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 is the negative where where is that negativity coming from, and figure out how to get rid of that so that you can. Mm-hmm. Focus I call it. it loving them from very far away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, I like that. I, might, I, I care might steal about, that. Yeah. yeah. I care about people, but there are some that I just love from very far away. Yeah. Some of that just comes with also just time and maturity, right? Like when you're in your early 20s, you're not, at least I wasn't, you're not self-aware enough yet to identify the complexity of that relationship and just all the all the social factors that have that have combined and led up to you being the person you are at that moment. Like when you're 22, mm-hmm. right out of college, like you just, I just, I, at least I wasn't there yet. I, I was just. But isn't it wonderful? I think every age has its aspect of wonderfulness. I mean, I look back at what I was like in my 20s, and yeah, I was a pretty cool woman. <laughs> that was that was a pretty cool time in my life. And I've managed to sort of change what I do and alter it and learn from it. And I think we all have a tendency to do that. And that's really smart. You know, just live joyfully. And when you do that, 
that opens up all the creativity. And then you can do an awesome job because you just love what you do. And like what you, you found a niche now for yourself that you're really, really good at. You're having fun at it. And uh, I think you're going to be an inspiration to a lot of people with what you do. Oh, I really wow. do. I hope so. I mean, that, would, that would make my year. No, <laughs> I, think, know, I yeah, think it will. I could inspire one person. Yeah. So what are you going to say to all of the, the young men and women out there who want to do what you do? What advice would you give them? Oh, gosh. That's a hard question. I should have been prepared for that. Um, ah, you're not supposed I, to think about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think my, 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 my instinct is to say a couple of things that occur to me. One would be really immerse yourself with people that you want to be like. And, and that's not to say that you're going to copy them. But, you know, like um, you, don't have to, you don't have to go out and copy what they do. But, you know identify kind of like a kind of reverse engineer them Mm -hmm. a little bit you know Mm -hmm. what what makes them tick how you know what are that you know i I can't remember if it was it must have it might have been gary vaynerchuk right or someone that would be like you're complaining that you don't have enough time how about you don't watch you know four hours of netflix tonight instead like that's a lot of time you could be doing something and that really resonated with me i was like you know what I don't need to watch Netflix tonight. I can build a microphone, like you know, st- stuff like that. Where it's just like, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of time in a day, and you can still get a full night's sleep. So I think like reverse engineer the people. That would be one thing that you really want to aspire to be like. To realize this is this is a long game. It is not a short game. It is you know like one year does not a life make. You know like I'm mm-hmm. in my mid to late thirties now. I'll be thirty seven this year. And I wouldn't even say that I haven't figured it out yet, you know, but like at different times in my life, it's probably felt, I was like, I got this figured out. I'm 15, you know, like I got this figured out. I'm 25. <laughs> right. Oh, what I a, thought I knew what everything. A great, but terrible age. <laughs> <laughs> great for so many reasons. Terrible for so many reasons. <laughs> so you're sitting in, you just moved into the studio yeah. where you are now, right? This is, is this, this, is, in a, Brooklyn. this is in Brooklyn, it's right? Far out. It's, it, it might technically be Ridgewood, Queens. Like, they keep fighting over what it actually is. Mm. Uh, it's listed as both when you Google it, like depending on the day. Mm. But yeah, I just mm. moved into this. It's been, um, you know, I had decided literally about a year and two months ago to do the studio thing. It, it was this never ending saga of like, oh, I found the right space. Oh, it's not as soundproof as I said it was going to be. It wasn't built right. Then moving into another space. This is mm-hmm. terrible. There are like people living down here. <laughs> I, this is not professional. I can't have people come here. Then going into another space while this one was being built. And finally, this space is, I think, about five months behind schedule where they want it to be. But it's finally ready. Just moved in here. Uh, it's an absolute disaster area right now. But I have more acoustic paneling coming and have to get a couch in here and some other gear. But it's functional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just really excited to now it's going to be a sprint over the next over the next uh, couple of weeks to get it kind of in client ready shape and start getting some real talent in here so that it's not just me pretending to play guitar. <laughs> well, I have a feeling you're going to be doing very, very well. And um, I do wish oh, you well. We have to stay Absolutely, in touch. This yeah. is fun. Yeah. This is fun. You have to come on OWC on a regular oh, basis. Happy to. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, let's do it again yeah, very and I was soon. Worried, I was worried I'd have nothing to say. <laughs> ha! No, I, you know, we've just gotten started. So this is a to be continued. Great, great. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? I had a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for taking the time. So I've been talking with Josh Sularski, and uh, he, he's an amazing guy. He's a producer, a mixing engineer, and also plays a great piano. I'm going to go on your website, and it's joshsularski.com, and that's J-O-S-H-S-U-L-A-R-S-K-I.com, right? Did I get that right? Oh, you got it. All right, and best of luck in your new studio, and everybody, if you want somebody great to engineer your music or your podcast or help you with the sound on your video, give him a ring while he's still moving in and still has time. Take advantage of it. Become a client now. So Josh, let's talk again very, very soon. You have a wonderful day, okay? Thanks, Serena. You too. Yeah. And everybody listening, remember what I always tell you, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. You have a great day. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. And I thank everyone at OWC for sponsoring us and allowing me to have a wonderful time talking to creative people. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye.